welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Father, I pray we get to know you in a new and refreshing way this morning. Just come, Holy Spirit. We wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Landon asked me to speak several months back, and then on Monday, God threw a curveball to me, and he said, hey, I want you to kind of talk about something different. So <clears throat> I'm going to share some personal things with you guys. The last five years, I've really got to know God in a very uh, different way, in a very good way. And it's been centered on uh, financial and legal pressure. And it's some things that, you know, we all have, have fears and anxieties that we go through. And through the last five years, I'm going to kind of highlight and share some ingredients that God's been showing with me and will be in the book of Philippians this morning. But God desires us to function from his life. And therefore, from his life, it will yield peace. It will yield his fruit. And it's one thing to, to know it. And I don't know if that there's a journey from your heart to your head or your head to your heart. I know Romans says, hey, renew the mind. So I'm wondering if it's already here and it's got to travel up here. But it's one thing to, to live in his perfect peace. You know, Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so that's speaking that I've got some, something in me that God has given me, and I get to surrender and allow him to work and move in my life. <clears throat> and so I think going through that, though, um, you know, when you're in the fetal position and when you're learning to live in humbleness and letting God do his thing, it's, it's a brokenness that is happening. But ultimately, the intent of the Christian life is for him to live his life in you and release it through you. <clears throat> I'm going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 4. You know what? I have a clicker, and I forgot. <clears throat> you know, one of the things of a guy is, you know, as a guy, for the most part, guys are not good at multitasking. So I was remembering when I got up here, I got to turn the microphone on. I have a clicker. I have a Bible. I want to make sure to breathe and take a step at the same time. Um. You know, this is one of the quotes that I was, um, that I think really God is, is shaping in me. And I think we have a model of, you know, what success or good circumstances or, or happiness looks like um, that is really shown to us. Most of the times, most humans, if not all of us, we don't really get a model of peace and joy. Now, I know it's littered throughout the life of Jesus Christ. But we don't really get like an example of like, hey, this is what it looks like when you have fear. Or hey, this, what, this is what happens when trials come your way. Let me guide you through this and show you my life and my resources. And the quote I want to read is, Jesus Christ did not die so that we could be happy. Now let me make sure I clarify that. You know, when you look at the Beatitudes and all these things, God, like happiness is a good thing. But happiness comes from the root word happenings, which really depends on our circumstances. And happiness can, it can sway based on what is happening around us. He died so that we can be free. Galatians 5.1. He died that so we could live from his resurrection power, his life, and function from that in all of life's circumstances. 
you know what, I forget I'm not talking to Melanie, I'm going to click, there we go. <clears throat> you know, as, as I was sending the PowerPoint to Melody, they have like an Apple computer. I know nothing about Apple computers, nor probably will ever. Um, and so I sent the PowerPoint version to her, and so the font, I was trying to make it a little bit bigger, so you kind of have to get your microscope to read Philippians 4. But I'll be in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. And if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, Paul is writing this while he's in prison. And the theme of Philippians is all about joy. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if I'm in prison and I'm put there for a certain you know, condemnation of some kind, that doesn't naturally speak to me about joy. I remember Stacy spoke on joy about, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 months ago. And, and the constant theme that I remember from her message, and I think what Paul is getting at here as well, is joy is not, a, is not based on your circumstances. It's not based on a feeling. It's based on a choice. And I'm going to go ahead and read uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Bear with me as I move my notes. I've got 16 pages of notes here, so I'm hoping they don't slide over. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your request. Excuse me, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And whatever you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I know most of us know that scripture. We turn to it in moments of anxieties or worries or what have you. Um, the first verse and talking about rejoicing. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times whenever life happens and I'm just not ready for that curveball that's thrown to me, I don't necessarily feel like rejoicing. You know, I, I just started working out uh, six weeks ago. Yep, yep. <laughs> That's the only reason why I said that comment, so I could get compliment. No. Um, I've been working out for six weeks, and it's funny. I've literally tried to work out for the last three years. Um, every single time I try and work out three separate times, I get poison ivy. So we, we have a lot of poison ivy. One day, that wretched, evil filth will be gone. And I get it like in really bad, uh, I just get it really bad. I'm really allergic to it. And it's funny, <laughs> I actually got it uh, a week and a half ago. And immediately when I got it, because we, we actually had a tornado like go in our, in our uh, neighborhood a couple weeks ago whenever the weather was bad. And I'm literally uh, like sawing down some trees. And then of course there's like poison, I poison uh, ivy and oak around that. So I get it again. So I actually thought about, you, normally I'm like, like lathering myself in poison ivy cream. I didn't do that today. Um, instead, I spilled coffee all over me. 
but but the funny part of the story is I'll always try to get working out and then I'll get poison ivy. So when you get poison ivy, you can't sweat. Because when you sweat, what's gonna happen? It's just gonna spread, yeah. So I'll try to do that. I'll work out, go to Southern Oaks, and it's just getting worse. I'm itching all the above, and so every single time I get it, I get alcohol, <laughs> and I pour it all over <laughs> the areas that are, that are infected. It's not the best route. You, know, you kind of feel like you're burning within 10, 15 seconds. My point being, I don't feel like pushing weight around, <laughs> um, but I know at the end of it, I'm going to feel good. You know, the Christian life, it's not rooted in feelings. You know, it's a life of faith. It's very difficult sometimes to rejoice whenever you get a curveball thrown at you, you weren't expecting it, or a legal pressure or financial difficulties come in your life. It's difficult to grit your teeth and find the grace of God in the moment. You know, just kind of like working out. <clears throat> um, I'm going to pull a quote here, a couple quotes. Yes, this is... You know, Paul presents a, a couple of prerequisites for peace. And number one is to choose joy. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on circumstances. It's just based on you gritting your teeth and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Uh, my wife and I have been coming to Cedar House for about a year and a half now. Uh, you know, obviously amazing worship team and worship set, especially uh, this morning as well. You know, I've been experiencing and getting to know God through praise and worship. And as I've been going through kind of these fiery trials, if you will, I've been getting to know God through laughter and through joy. And I think God speaks to us and manifests himself differently in different forms. And I literally come here, it's only happened about half a dozen times, but it's, I'm choosing to enter into a, just a place with God out of gratitude, of course, thankfulness, and just a confidence knowing that he's bigger than my problems. Yep. And so, of course, we're, we're going to end with worship, you know, uh, after my message here. I wonder sometimes, do we have it backwards? Should we, like, do the message first and, and then do, you know, worship? And I, and I say that because worship is a response to truth. I'm kidding. It's not, it's not backwards. <laughs> but worship is truly a, spons- a response to what God is doing in your life. Um, here we go. I chose that, that action there because a lot of times I'll, I'll, when I think of joy or something good like that I think of something like that but in reality I think joy can look very different you know joy I think is you're meeting God in, in the quiet place and you're getting to know him not based on feelings emotions as I've been saying but just based on a gritted choice there we go there we go so you need to get your magnifying glass out here I'm going to read a, a couple quotes because I believe joy is directly linked to spiritual maturity and as a, what, Landon, Cedar House, five years old, six years old, something like that, as a five-year-old church, I think spiritual maturity has, has a lot of weight moving forward. And the quote I got is, God wants us to be immersed in the gladness that comes from recognize the indescribable, indescribable nature of God's grace. He desires us to be aware of this grace at all times and to realize that even the greatest of trials, the darkest of depths, could not overcome the grace of God through Christ. Joy is a must as a choice for us, for the believer. Why? Because once you, re- once you recognize what God's grace means for your life and destiny, 
how could you not rejoice in everything? How could you not live with a permanent attitude of joy and gladness? That's a good word. You know, my, my dad, who's right over there, mom and dad are here. We got my parents, my in-laws. Uh, yep. <clears throat> I think one of the first books my dad gave me was The Pursuit of God from a, a man named A.W. Tozer. Definitely been blessed by his life. He was a preacher, I believe, out in Chicago, died a number of years ago. Man, that dude really just got really raw with his, his language on God. And one thing that I wanted to pluck out that is talking about spiritual maturity that's related to joy is he says, surely we need a baptism of clear seeing if we are to escape the fate of Israel and every other religious body in history that rejected or forsook God based on their pride. We desperately need seers who can see through the mist. We must have a new reformation. There must come a violent break with that irresponsible, amusement-mad, paganized pseudo-religion which passes today for the faith of Christ, and which is being spread all over the world by unspiritual men employing unscriptural methods to achieve their ends. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to go to the next quote because it gets deeper, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to. There we go. And a Christian is spiritual when he sees everything from God's viewpoint. Isn't that really kind of what joy is all about? In order to function in the peace of God, we are going to have circumstances come, up, come at us that we're not ready for. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's tonight, maybe it's six months from now, and I'm not trying to speak doom and gloom, but the glory of the believer is we have this resurrection life in us, and we are always going to triumph. <clears throat> and so the Christian is spiritual when he sees everything from God's viewpoint, the ability to weigh all things in the divine scale and place the same value upon them is, as God does is the mark of a spirit-filled life. Man, that's good news. <clears throat> Trying to find my notes here. I guess my point is, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what's happening around you. And joy is a gritty confidence in knowing that my God is bigger. It's just good news. <clears throat> Let me go towards one more page here. <clears throat> And the cool thing about this is this is actually a command. You know, I once heard a pastor say that there's only the only command in the New Testament is to love. I would argue that's probably true. Um, and these commands, I would say, are rooted in love. Rejoice. He says it twice. Rejoice again. In chapter 3, so go back a little bit, he says, hey, rejoice again, because I want you to know that this is tedious, or safe, and the word safe is translated security. It's a safeguard for you. It is a must for your life. Just as Stacy said a year ago, choose joy. <clears throat> the second prerequisite for the peace of God, yeah, this is difficult, multitasking, <clears throat> is to walk in gentleness. Have you ever met that person that's, you're kind of always rubbing against them? They're just a little bit difficult. You're always kind of at war with them. <clears throat> You know, what, what, what Paul is really talking about is carry a gentle spirit 
So he's really talking about the attitude of your heart. He's not so much talking about like a, a, a touching or affection or hugging or what have you, even though that's obviously good. But he's talking about how you carry yourself, your demeanor, your countenance. This is something I've had to work at a lot. Um, but how you carry yourself um, you know, you know, means a lot. And it says, the Lord is at hand. So as you're you're walking by faith, knowing that Jesus Christ is always is always near to you. You know, one of the opportunities. Oh, there we go. Actually, I was going to delete that, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> is on the. This is my my aunt and my cousins that are out somewhere in Mississippi. They are Mississippi State fans, and I was going to pick on the lady on on the left. Mom, I don't remember how old Aunt Cynthia is, but probably late seventies, early eighties, something like that. You know, as, as I was like meditating on what is gentleness, you know, and then I, I fixated on attitude. I'm sure we all, all heard that you know, your attitude determines your altitude, right? You know, that this lady, she just, uh, she just, you know, started having cancer. Her husband passed away, who she'd been married for, I don't know, maybe, you know, 60 years, give or take, 50 years, something like that. And man, she is just a steady, steady person you know someone who in thick and thin whether curveballs are coming at her I'm a baseball guy so I'll keep throwing baseball analogies or you know she's hitting home runs she's just steady her attitude uh, at least my experience of her has just been overjoyed just with gentleness and with peace and then I contrast that with my children who I love very much you know, p parenting, and I so wish I was at the parenting conference yesterday, uh, but, but parenting has a way of certainly humbling you in the, in the best ways. And so, you know, Luke got the worst of me. So Luke is, you know, my oldest there. He's 13. Uh, the slideshow should say Luke, Kate and Reed. Oh, there we go. See, this is learning on the job training. There we go. Cool. Um, so Kate's 10, about to be 11, and Reed is 6. And, you know, it's funny, I guess you could, you could look at all of our parenting methods to where we started with our first child, and now we look at our second, third, fourth, whatever it is, and how we've matured and grown as well. And, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about that, you know, uh, gentleness turns away wrath. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but in, in my parenting methods, Luke's definitely got the worst of me. Now, Reed, who uh, love Reed, our awesome athletic child, he, we're really focusing on like regulating his emotions, you know, as really all parents are with their kids. <clears throat> and he will have these emotional outbursts of wrath. <laughs> and what God is really showing me in that moment is as I stay gentle and calm with him and I'm led from peace and I get to relate to him and label those emotions, and let me call that out on you, and let me speak life to you, let me love on you. So God, through, through Reed, is showing me what gentleness looks like. <laughs> um, but the second prerequisite of peace is to carry gentleness. <clears throat> the third prerequisite, here we go, yes, that might work, maybe. Hmm. All good. We could just look at my kids the whole time. <laughs> All good. <clears throat> you know, the, the third prerequisite of peace is to pray. You know, when, when I look at 
verse 6 and verse 7. It says, be anxious for nothing. <clears throat> That's a humbling verse. Be anxious for no thing. I actually wonder, like, what was Paul thinking? Like, did he not consider, like, that there's, like, the fight-flight response of anxiety whenever, like, something physical happens, and then you have, like, the emotional responses based on just maybe daily life or trials or whatever it is. You know, but he says, be anxious for, for nothing. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Yeah, you could go back to that uh, 18-wheeler, Melanie. <laughs> so funny story. I went, went to Destin a few weeks ago. Uh, my amazing uh, in-laws have, have a condo there and let us kind of bum a stay once or twice a year. And I was, as I was coming back, I was driving. I was going over the Mobile Bay. I don't know if you know, there's like a bridge. I think it's just two lanes, I remember. And I was behind an 18-wheeler. And if you could see on my picture, no, this was not the 18-wheeler that, that I was behind. I was just trying to you know, illustrate here. But I was behind an 18-wheeler, and all of a sudden, how many of y'all have been behind an 18-wheeler, and all of a sudden you just see the tire blow out, and then rubber, treads of rubber start flying up in the air? <laughs> it's one thing like when you're right behind them. To me, it's like one thing when you're over water, and, and you're on this bridge. <laughs> and I had, I had Reed in the back seat, and the rubber starts just flying in the air, probably six to seven to eight different like treads of rubber and I'm literally I go in a fight or flight response and so I immediately like look back at Reed and I'm going as quickly as I can and I start like driving in and out of the lanes because rubber was like it was it was shooting up and it would come down and so I'm like like dodging it like going back and forth <laughs> that's obviously not what the apostle Paul is talking about with anxiety you know but but back in his day you know, Christians were, were literally being persecuted and they were literally being fed to like ravenous beasts. You know, I don't really think that we're struggling with that type of like physical, emotional anxiety here for the most part. But I will say, <clears throat> man, especially if you look at the last 13 months, there are times when anxiety, and you could say depression, it just rules the day. You know, and we are governed by worries, by fear, by stress, by strife. You know, I, I got to know a guy uh, who's become in some ways a mentor to me around 15 years ago. And I, I connected with him because at the time, was a young dude trying to mature, marriage was struggling, trying to learn how to be a professional in business, having my first kid. And, you know, I heard a preacher say, the biggest question a man asks is, do I have what it takes? I, I didn't think I had what it took at the time. <clears throat> um, but as I got to know this guy, I started seeing that this guy functioned differently than was kind of, you know, modeled out to me whenever life circumstances would happen. And whenever stress and strife would happen, he would look at it not from like a glass half empty, it would be a glass half full. You know, whenever challenges would arise, he would say, well, man, God's going to show up. Whenever you know, stresses would really demoralize you. He would say, you know what, God, something's touching your pain, and now God's waiting to minister to it. And as I saw him function in his life, it really seemed like everything was just glass half full, whether it was good or bad circumstances happening to him. The guy just functioned differently. 
And you know, the, the last the last five years, um, there, there's been some financial uncertainty, economic uncertainty, of course, legal pressure, and I think we've all experienced it in different forms or fashions. But what God is desiring from us is to live from his perfect peace and his perfect life. And I don't know if I've said that already. I could really just say that and we could go home and pray. I mean, pray and go home, excuse me. You know, but the intent of what Paul is trying to say here is that anxiety robs his perfect peace. There we go. And I think there's a different angle of anxiety in the country that we live in. And I'm going to kind of read these slides. As we develop a belief system, and a lot of anxiety is a response to feeling emotionally unsafe or the fear of being emotionally harmed, not valued, not accepted, not good enough. We fear conflict. We fear being vulnerable. There's a fear of loss and being out of control. Personally, I've never struggled with this, but I know that a lot of us do. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Um, this is my life story. We feel emotionally threatened or overwhelmed in any of these ways that will activate fear, uncertainty, or anxiety. And then we've developed behavior patterns that are based on protecting our pain. We develop coping mechanisms, thoughts, behaviors that guard and protect us from the pain versus, let, versus letting God do that. We start to people please. We use humor to diffuse the situation. We blame others. The focus is not on us. We become very defensive. We give people a silent treatment. We judge and, and criticize others. <clears throat> Welcome to the Christian life. Um, this, is, this is called we're building flesh patterns, you know, and we're relying on our own agenda and our own self versus uh, Jesus Christ. And as Stacy was actually, I'm going to keep referencing you, Stacy, if that's okay. And as Stacy was talking about last week, I remember she was talking about walls. I remember everything you say, Stacy. <laughs> and we become like a fortified city, and we allow no one to get in. In true intimacy, and certainly living and governing under peace, we could throw that out the window. <clears throat> and we function like this isolated human. <clears throat> and God's design is certainly not that. I'm going to read you some scriptures based on anxiety, and then we'll bring the, ba you know, this is even smaller. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just read them from my page. <laughs> <clears throat> Proverbs 12:25. anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. 2 Timothy 1:7. for the spirit of God does not give us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power, love in a sound mind. Isaiah 35, 4, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. I'll pause right there. I think probably most of us know this, but you know how many times the word or the phrase do not fear is mentioned in the Bible? 365. <clears throat> kind of a big deal. But those who hope in the Lord or trust will renew their strength. I like another translation that says will exchange their strength. To God. They will soar on wings like eagles. You could think of just the, the eagles abiding in the presence and the power of the wind, and that's the picture here. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. I'll read one more. The righteous cry out, Psalms 34, 17, and the Lord hears them. 
He delivers them from all their trouble. You know, the one thing I love about the Bible is every time it gives you a command, like, hey, don't do something or start doing this, it gives you a reason why that's better. You know, this isn't like a positive, reaffirming behavior modification thing. It's a life transformation. In looking at this quote, the, the more distracted we get from these current sources of anxiety, the more that we get robbed from functioning out of the peace of God. God's heart from you is that you reign, you rule, you govern in life. No matter what is trying to distract you, we reign or thrive when we stay focused on God's resources, not relying on our own strength. You know, one of the things I was actually, I'm trying to actually, you know, stealing some of the, the pictures from Mike Mishiro. I actually love when Mike came and all his pictures and different uh, lines of thought and what have you. But I was thinking, you know, whenever we say God through prayer, and, you know, the word supplication is we're coming to him with a need. You know, we all have needs, whether it's based on money, whether it's based on, you know, relationships, health, family, whatever it is, we all have needs. And I know it's easy immediately when the anxiety creeps in. Let me go talk to my neighbor or another person. I'm not saying that's not bad. But he says, hey, present your request with thanksgiving to God. It doesn't say your best friend. Now, I'm not saying not, not do that. But it says go to him. Seek first the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and then his peace of God. It's a military term here. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I actually thought this kind of picture was funny. Obviously, this you know, guy dressed in a suit guarding the home is not the peace of God, but just visioning, it really guards your hearts and your minds. And it's talking about your soul, your thought life. And all we have to do, I know Wes Broussard doesn't like this, but in some ways it's kind of like a formula for finding the peace of God. I don't, don't take that, you know, make it your own deal. But like, choose joy, carry gentleness, pray, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, to me, it just seems a little simple. <clears throat> All right, accept this PowerPoint. There we go. <clears throat> but here's the part that's actually not simple. <clears throat> and so, you know, in some ways, I kind of envision our mind or our thought life kind of like a wrestling ring. You know, we got like our, our boxing gloves on or what have you. And we're going to encounter a lot of different thoughts in our day. And it's what we allow to reign or have control over us. <clears throat> and there's really a, an eight-part test, if you will, that you can look at whenever life starts throwing curveballs and sliders at you. And this is what it really looks like to have a disciplined, mature thought life. And man, I need a mirror right here. This is me all day long is right when Monday morning starts, Sunday evening, whenever it is for you that anxiety may creep in, you practice the peace of God. You focus on what is true, what is noble, what is righteous, what is pure, lovely, of good report. Focus on what is virtuous, or in some translations, it's excellent. And you focus on what is praiseworthy. I guess I could have just said that, and we could have prayed and gone home as well. <clears throat> But the bottom line, like the scripture in Colossians 3.15, is we let the peace of God govern or rule in our heart. 
<clears throat> you know, the band's going to come up here in a second here. Um, but really, you know, so what's the application for this? Well, we enter, in, enter into his joy right now. <laughs> Why wait? You know, we don't become like the children of Israel and we wander in the wilderness for X amount of years. We choose it right now. It's not a feeling. Your feelings will catch up. You know, this is a life of faith. It's not a life of feelings. Just like working out. I eventually feel good after I've suffered for 30 minutes. I'm, I'm being a little bit sarcastic. The feelings will come. It's that you choose it while you're gritting your teeth or you choose it during whatever circumstance. You choose joy. Number two, you bring your needs to him right now. This is not an item of delay. Don't delay. Go to him now. You know, the Christian life is an invitation. Throughout scripture, it says, come to me. All those who thirst, all those who are weary and heavy laden, come right now. It is an invitation. Jesus Christ is a gentleman. You build patterns of thinking to exchange your anxiety for his what? His peace. His peace. And then you focus on that. You meditate on his goodness. You know, one of, uh, one of my favorite guys in ministry, and I might have totally forgot his um, quote up here, a guy named John Lynch. Bear with me here as I find it. Here we go. Uh, he has a ministry called True Face, and I'll kind of wrap up with this quote. And we're going to sing a song here, and I guess really the goal of this is we just want to lead you to function in perfect peace. <laughs> We want you to exchange your heaviness for his goodness. We want you to exchange your anxiety for his peace, your worry, his joy. This is an exchanged life. <clears throat> and it is a life of faith where we say, Abba, Father, man, I need you right now. I want to experience you and I want to know you in a way that I've never known before or just a, just a different way. And that's a way focused on his joy, gentleness, peace, and meditating on his goodness. I'm going to read a quote here from John Lynch. He says, Your God, every moment of every day, is wooing. He's drawing. He's calling out your new heart. He is not compelling you to try harder, strain more, prove your love more, or even trust harder. Instead, he is drawing you to become daily more and more convinced of his love your new identity, and his power in you to mature you into who he has called you to be. He will not be deterred by your failure, your laziness, your lack of interest, your scheming. He has already made up his mind about you, and he will not fail in wooing you that life he intended for you from before the world began. I know you think you don't deserve such favor. He will overcome that also. Good luck stopping him. <clears throat> so guys, as we, as we kind of round up and, and finish this song, you're welcome to, to get on your knees, stay in your chair, come up here, stand up, meet God in whatever place you want to meet him at. And just let him fill you. And what I mean by that is let him fill, him with, let him fill you with his love, his goodness, and be intentional about focusing on his goodness. Do it right now. Don't delay choose him welcome to the cedar house church sermon of the week our desire is to remain in god's presence explore his passions and supply tools that serve
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.